0: three. The passage I'm preaching on today is intended to bring comfort to those who are in pain, those who are hurting, those who are suffering. But I also believe that it's helpful for us who might not be suffering to be prepared for when suffering comes. Now to do this, we're going to begin by characterizing what suffering is, and what it isn't. And then we'll move to a brief definition of suffering. But let's start with what suffering isn't. Suffering is not prejudiced. It's unbiased. It doesn't discriminate based on color. There are no racial disparities to consider when it comes to suffering. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't pass over certain people and attack others. Also, suffering has no political affiliation. It isn't Republican or Democrat, libertarian or independent. And Likewise, suffering doesn't operate according to our financial economy. There's no amount of money that you have that you can throw at your suffering to rid you of it. Now, to get a bit more granular and perhaps cheeky, you're not suffering when you're waiting in a long line at the grocery store. And you're not suffering when you're stuck in traffic, although I'm sure the expletives just shoot out in your mind. And although it might feel like it in the moment, you're not suffering when instead of getting the caramel macchiato that you ordered at Starbucks, you get a vanilla latte with some form of tree nut milk in it, as if trees can produce milk. No, that's not suffering, although it might feel like it, So, what is suffering? Here's a brief definition. It's a simple one. Suffering is what we experience. Suffering is what we face in a world that's been marred by sin. Suffering constitutes the painful experiences in life in a fallen world. For some here this morning, this might be learning from your physician, that you've been diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. Or it might mean hearing that a family member or a friend has recently walked away from the Lord. It might be the depression you battle. Maybe it's the anxiety you experience or some other mental illness that seems to keep you down for long periods of time. It could mean living in the aftermath of a relationship that has been broken and severed by sin. could be hearing from your spouse that they no longer love you and they want a divorce. could be the anxiety you experience as soon as you begin to think of bills that are mounting and debts that need to be paid, but you don't have a job to pay those bills with. Now, I could go on and on. It's easy to illustrate what suffering is because there are examples of suffering all around us. It comes in many shapes and forms, and it hits us from so many different angles. Friends, there's a universality to suffering, and it's pervasive in this world that we live in. It also presents us with quite the dilemma Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, Lord, please, I'm begging you, let me suffer today. No. We live in a world that cringes at the S-word. This world is filled with people who will go to great lengths to alleviate or avoid their suffering. Gyms and pharmacies are on almost every corner in major cities. The healthcare industry props up our economy like no other. Why? It's because people will spend massive amounts of time, energy, and money to avoid suffering. The world's message on suffering is this. Run! Escape at all costs! Each of us here can be tempted to believe that message. The question we have to ask this morning, and I believe the question that Paul addresses as he was inspired by the Spirit to write this text, is what does God say about our suffering? Here's the big idea. Suffering is never random, and it's powerful in the hands of a comforting and redeeming God. Suffering is never random. Never. And it's powerful in the hands of a comforting and redeeming God. God's Word shows us that suffering is not arbitrary. God uses suffering to help us shed the veneer of self-reliance. And through our suffering, God teaches us to stop pretending. God uses His Word to to show us that sometimes we can be fake and think that we have it all together. Let's turn to God's word this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll begin reading at verse 3. And we'll see how God addresses us and reminds us that he is the God of all comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also might help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Our first point this morning is suffering reveals God's character. Immediately after his two-verse little transition here into the text, Paul breaks out in praise in verse 3 when he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he acknowledges God as the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Like he does in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul in this letter begins with God. It's his starting point. And in this opening benediction, Paul elaborates he gives us a little bit more on who God, exact, who God exactly is to his people. God is a father. God provides comfort and mercy. Not just some comfort. Not just a little bit of comfort, but he's the God of all comfort and all mercy. Paul focuses our attention on the very intentional care God is eager to give. Essentially, Paul... Begins this letter with a very warm and fuzzy introduction. A beginning that has all the fields, but it doesn't stay that way. If you were to read on through this letter, you would find that suffering is a prominent theme. Why does Paul include suffering as such a prominent theme in this letter? Suffering is such a prominent theme. Well, God being the God of comfort wasn't an abstract truth for Paul. There was a very real circumstance that Paul underwent, and we'll find out more about this circumstance in verse 8, which in turn led to the comfort Paul received from God. Paul wants his readers to know that God comforts the suffering saint. Paul knows this because he experienced God's comfort himself. Paul's message, and the message God has for us, is one and the same. God is concerned with what ails us. He's not aloof. He doesn't stand far off and look at our troubles and say, good luck with that. No. God is an ever-present help in our time of need. Though we live in a Fallen and broken world, one in which suffering seems all too often to get the upper hand, God enters into our suffering in the person of Jesus Christ. And those who are united to Him are sustained in their suffering. Now, this question is for the potential sufferer here this morning Are you hurting? Are you in pain? Are you feeling weary from all that life has thrown at you? Well, there's good news. God is eager to help you. It's His disposition. It's who God is. His character is that of a helper and a comforter. This is exactly why He's given us the Holy Spirit, who the Bible refers to as our helper in verses like John 14:16. My friends, We can find ourselves, at so many times in life, in need of help. And it's the heart of our comforting God who provides us with this help. Perhaps this is why Paul uses the word comfort some ten times in this passage. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has another message for the Corinthians not only does God provide us with comfort, but there's also a sense in which comfort comes through Paul to the Corinthians. Verse 4 reads, God, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those. Paul tells this dear church, The comfort he has received is meant to be paid forward. It's meant to be passed along to others. We are not comforted to hoard up comfort for ourselves in some storehouse, to bank it, to lock it away. We are comforted to be conduits of comfort to others. Mary Harris in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, aptly comments on this when he writes, the spiritual principle he, or Paul, is enunciating is that Christians' experience of God's help, consolation, and encouragement in the midst of life's afflictions constantly qualifies and empowers them to communicate divine comfort to others who face troubles of any variety. Our suffering qualifies us to speak comfort into the lives of others. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need a master's degree in counseling. Those things are good, but you don't need those to comfort the hurting. What are the prerequisites? Affliction. Suffering. Those are the things that certify us as believers to provide comforting words to those who need to hear them. If you've suffered the loss of a loved one, or if you've experienced God comfort you in unique ways, then you know exactly how to provide encouragement to someone. What does this look like practically? What does it look like to be a conduit of comfort? Well, it could be meeting with someone over coffee, perhaps a woman who suffered a miscarriage, and testifying to the comfort that you've received from the Lord when you lost a child. It could be sharing a meal with someone who has recently lost a family member and sitting across from them and weeping with those who weep. And then testifying, again, to the comfort that you've received from the Lord when you lost a family member. It might also look like spending time with a widow. There are so many different ways this takes place in the life of a church. And you here at Center Church, I can testify to this. You do this well. You all know how to comfort the hurting. We need our church family to speak words of life when it feels like we're at the brink of death. Don't ever minimize what you have to offer someone who's grieving, who's mourning, who's in pain, agony, and loss, because God has comforted you. So you can, in turn, comfort others. As we move on in this passage, verse 5 shows us how Paul addresses suffering and comfort as being what we share abundantly in Christ, suffering enriches our intimacy with Christ. That sounds like a bold statement. Suffering enriches our intimacy with Christ. As Paul, I imagine, is writing these words, the words of verse 5, especially that first part, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. He must have been reminded of a truth that should lay each of us low. The holy Christ of God, the perfect, sinless Son, He suffered for sinners like you and me. His suffering led to His death, which marks the first time in human history a man did not deserve to die. We should have been the ones hanging on that cursed tree. We should have been the ones feeling that brutal, crushing weight of our sin placed on those shoulders. But Christ, in divine love, hung, suspended, held there by nails for us. In chapter 5, we find that wonderful verse. For our sake, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse should remind us of just that. God crushed His holy Son so that you and I could become sons and daughters of God. Friends, we can't move on too quickly from this truth. We can't think that we've arrived somewhere and not marvel and revel in the grace and mercy that God has shown us in His Son. We have to camp out here. We have to remember what He's done for us in so many ways we do that week by week. We sing songs that focus on the substitutionary atonement of our Savior. We declare truths as we read Scripture that remind us of this great exchange. This is what we do as the people of God. This is our modus operandi. This is what should motivate us week by week. Day by day, this is who we are. People who revel and marvel at the grace of God that's been shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's not move on too quickly. God, in his infinite care and goodness, he wants to show us that suffering has an intended effect. Paul writes, For as we share in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What a glorious promise. I'm going to use that word a lot, glorious, because there's really no other word that captures how great of a promise this is. Our union to Christ in his life, in his death and resurrection It brings glorious promises, not just for the future. We know that those who place their faith, hope in Jesus will one day spend eternity with Jesus. But what about now? What does that get us now? Paul tells us. We receive comfort when we suffer. When we read this verse, it says, If Paul wants his readers to understand something, something that's hard for us to understand at times, especially in 21st century America, where we get all the nice shiny things, Paul wants us to understand that as suffering was a reality for Jesus, it's also a reality for those who serve the Lord Jesus. Paul Barnett writes, The Apostle's sufferings listed in the letter should be seen as replicating the sufferings of Christ by, as it were, a principle of divine inevitability. Just as the one who God sent suffered in and for a world alienated from God, so too the Apostle of the Sent One and the community of the Sent One experienced the pain of rejection in that same world as they bear witness to Christ. In fact, it was the sent one, Jesus, who told his disciples in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation. Not, in the world you might have some tribulation. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Those who serve Jesus will suffer like Jesus did. We won't be crucified, Lord willing, but if we're on mission with Jesus and we're spending ourselves for the sake of others, suffering is going to come your way. But This suffering is meant to lead us to divine comfort and to deeper intimacy with Jesus. Saints, that's you and I, those who know Jesus and have placed their faith and hope in Him, saints who trust in the substitutionary death of Christ and who pursue godliness in this world will meet opposition. It's just the truth of the Christian life. But we have a wonderful a glorious promise in this text that God will provide us with comfort and will know him better through our suffering. Which brings us to our last, our final point. Suffering deepens our dependence on God. Suffering deepens our dependence on God. Verses 6 to 7, they show us how suffering is to play a vital role in Paul's ministry to the Corinthians. In verse 6, we're told how Paul's suffering is for the comfort and salvation of the Corinthians. Now, something interesting to note on this passage, and even in the entire letter, and dare I say in the entire Bible, is how Paul doesn't promise them escape from suffering. We're never promised escape. He doesn't claim their suffering will be removed. And I know that in times when we're entrenched, when we're facing deep anguish and pain, we might feel it would be easier if God would just remove our hurt altogether. But instead, what we get is a corollary to the promise that God would provide comfort, and that is that he would give the Corinthians patient endurance while they suffer. What does this mean for us? Well, it means God will sustain you. He will uphold you. He'll provide endurance to you as things in your world seem to be being ripped apart as you attempt to put one foot in front of the other in your suffering, God is with you. And He's providing everything that you need along the way to patiently endure through hardship. We see this in Psalm 34, 18. That's where the psalmist writes, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. God is near to the to you in your suffering. Even when he feels so distant. Now as we move along in the text, verse 7 tells us that Paul had an unshaken hope for the Corinthians. That they would share in the apostles' comfort. Something to note about Paul is he wasn't like the other preachers that the Corinthians were used to. In the city of Corinth, this was a very Hellenistic society. One given to... oratory ability and oratorical skill. Paul, he didn't just strut into town and show off his fancy rhetorical skills. He didn't strut in like a peacock showing off how well he could preach. Instead, what we see in the text is Paul suffered. And then he tells them that his own suffering was for them. We never know when suffering is going to strike someone in our congregation. But your pastors, they're not exempt. As your pastor experiences suffering in, in their family or in their ministry, God uses what they go through For your benefit. This might be through the loss of a loved one or the pain of having a child who's wandering from the faith. God uses your pastor's suffering as comfort that's tailor made for the situations that you will one day walk through. What a glorious promise we have from the Lord that nothing is wasted in God's economy. Not one drop of suffering is wasted. Under God's watchful eye, he uses all things. He uses our pain, our suffering, everything for his glorious purposes and our joy in him. Verse 8 then gives us a small glimpse into Paul's suffering. There we read, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I read countless commentaries trying to give me what this affliction in Asia was. There are many opinions on what this was. It could have been during Paul's missionary journey, one of his missionary journeys. It could have been something that's unrecorded in Scripture. We don't know. But what we do know is that Paul is saying he and his team were so weighed down by the affliction they experienced that they couldn't keep going. When you can say of your own suffering that it's caused you to despair of life itself, you know it's intense. He goes on to say that it caused him to feel as if he had received a death sentence from the Lord. Notice the words he uses utterly burdened, despairing over life, and the reception of a death sentence. These are statements people make when in the grips of intense suffering. But what he doing here is he is setting up the second half of verse nine, where we find the purpose of his suffering when we read, but that was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Suffering teaches us to rely on God in ways we might never know otherwise. Now it's time for some self-deprecating humor here. I am probably the least handy person in this auditorium. I can't build anything. I can't fix things. And it's pretty bad. But here's something I do know. You can't build furniture. Anything that you're going to sit on, you don't want to build that with edges that are unsanded, and wood that's going to give you splinters. I wouldn't want to sit on a chair that's going to give me splinters. Well, like extra coarse sandpaper or a file, that's intended and made to grind away harsh edges in the Lord's hands. Suffering is a tool. It's a tool that's fashioned to strip away every ounce of our own self-reliance, every ounce of self-reliance that acts like a splinter to our souls. Suffering shows us that a pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality is not godly. A get-or-done mentality is not godly. If you're tempted to rely on your own strength, then you know all too well how futile this is. When faced with your own suffering, you might be tempted to run to any number of things to numb the effect of your suffering. These could include, but are not limited to, entertainment, binging Netflix, I don't know, Hobbies, leisure, receiving counsel from people who aren't Christians, self-help books and TED Talks. I'm not trying to knock those things. They, they might offer you a modicum, a little bit of comfort when you're suffering, but they're not going to bring you ultimate comfort and relief. As Christians... We need to rely on the Lord's strength in all seasons of life, and especially in our affliction. Of all people, Paul, the apostle par excellence, the Hebrew of Hebrews, he had to learn this lesson the hard way. It took despair. It took a death sentence from the Lord to teach him how to fully trust in the God who raises the dead. He learned the very same lesson The writer of the book of Hebrews refers to when he writes, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Suffering, like discipline, can become our tutor. It yields something to those who've been trained by it, to those who submit to its tutelage, suffering, yields a resolute trust in God. This, my friends, is the big idea Paul's getting at. The source of our strength, the wellspring where we find all of our thirst satisfied, and the extreme heat of our suffering is found in the God who raises the dead. But what about before suffering comes? Which I imagine a lot of you are in that place right now. Maybe everything's going well. Maybe you're getting promoted at work. Maybe the kids are behaving. You're, you and your wife are getting along great. You're acing tests left and right. It's in these moments we don't really feel the need to have a theology of suffering in place. And what do I mean by a theology of suffering? the theology of suffering simply refers to what we believe about God when bad things happen. Because it's tempting when you're suffering to believe some very awful things about God. We need a theology of suffering in place because when it comes knocking at your door, when suffering comes for you, you need to be equipped and ready and know how to respond. Verse 9, it helps to equip us because in it we see how God wants us to, to view our suffering as a tool and has a, an effect that's intended to make us rely on Him alone. God is dependable despite the hard things we face and go through. In verse 10, Paul elaborates on exactly what to expect from the God who raises the dead. First, he writes that the deliverance God provided to Paul and his team, he writes about that deliverance. Then Paul confidently asserts that God will continue to provide deliverance in the present. But here's the good part. And then he writes, On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. If you didn't pick it up, in, in that verse, Paul includes past, present, and future activities of deliverance. All that originate from the resurrecting power of God. Hope for, the, for deliverance, for the, apostle, for the Corinthians, and for each of us, is found preeminently in the resurrection. As a matter of fact, the resurrection was the basis for Peter's hope in 1 Peter 1.3, which is a letter that was written to suffering Christians. There he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection, it gives us a great hope for deliverance. And not merely temporal deliverance. Not merely deliverance from the circumstance that you might be facing now. Now, which he does, at times, grant us with. But our greatest hope, Jeff alluded to this earlier, our greatest hope is that the blessed, the appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. For those who are in Christ Jesus, this is deliverance we can bank on. In verse 11, Paul summons the Corinthians to pray for him. This focused prayer that he desires is said to produce a blessing to Paul and those who are with Paul. When we hear of someone in our local church who might be suffering, our first move should be to pray for them. It's easy to try to talk and get the details and know everything, how's the cat doing, and all of uh, that stuff. But we should be more prompted to pray There's a difference between talking with those who are suffering and praying for them. We should pray for those who are hurting or are going through difficult things, because here Paul tells us our prayers are effective. He says in that last line in verse eleven, "For the blessing granted us through the prayers of many." Prayer is a weapon. Intercessory prayer, my friends, is a weapon. In Center Church, just like we do care for people who are hurting so well, we pray well. You are a praying church. We have prayer groups that meet throughout the week, and if you're going through something right now, and one of these groups knows about it, they're praying for you. You best believe that. Friends, God doesn't leave us To deal with suffering on our own. He's given us this powerful weapon of prayer to intercede and pray for each other's needs. Now, to wrap this up, there's a lot to consider here. Eight verses, there's a lot packed in there. First, suffering plays an important role in the Christian life, it's our tutor, and it helps us to know God's character. It provides us with an opportunity to comfort others who are suffering. It enriches our intimacy with Christ and it deepens our dependency upon God. And this is great news if you're a believer. But maybe you're not. Perhaps you're listening to this sermon and all this talk about suffering, everything that I've been doing for the last 30 minutes has sounded bleak, pessimistic, and you just don't want anything to do with it. You might not be a Christian, and you're thinking, why would I want to serve a God who leaves me in my suffering? Why would I want to serve a God who doesn't remove my suffering from me? It's a valid question. I commend you, if you're here, not a believer, and you're thinking that question. It's one that theologians have dubbed the problem of evil. And massive tomes have been written about it. Here's one thing I do know. If you feel the weight of your sin, if you feel your suffering, Jesus can bear it for you. The innocent... Son of God, was crushed under the weight of our sins. His death is the highest display of the good purposes of God for mankind because by His death and His resurrection, you can be made right with God. Those who place their faith and trust in Him are promised eternal comfort and rest from their pain and suffering. But apart from Him, You'll never know what it means to be eternally freed from your suffering. If you don't know who Jesus is, find someone who does. Talk to the person sitting next to you. Email, text a friend who's a Christian. Have them explain to you the hope that we have in Christ. If you are a believer, I pray this passage helps you see The immeasurable worth of having a theology of suffering in place before affliction strikes. All of us at some point in our lives will have an affliction in Asia moment or a season where we'll be utterly burdened and sent reeling in despair. And it's in times like these our faith is challenged and tested and we're confronted. So if you're tempted to run from suffering, Run to Jesus instead. His arms are outstretched. His heart is for you. He wants to help you and hold you while you go through the hardship that he has appointed to make you love him more. The hardship that he has crafted to make you depend on him in more substantial ways had you never suffered. Someone who had a robust theology of suffering, was Horatio Spafford, the hymn writer who wrote the famous hymn, It Is Well. If you don't know the story, it's a tragic one. After having lost their four-year-old son to scarlet fever, he decided to send his wife and their four little girls on a ship so that they could vacation together. And that he would follow them shortly after they arrived to their destination. But the boat his wife and daughters were on collided with an object in the sea and it sunk. And in the process, Spafford and his wife lost their four little girls. Five children lost. It's a tragic story. But in the aftermath of this tragedy, he penned these words. Perhaps you know the tune. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You could be in a season of comfort, insecurity right now. Or maybe you're in a season of suffering. In Christ, we know it is well with our soul because only in Him have we received eternal comfort for our soul's greatest need. Suffering is never random. It's powerful in the hands of a comforting and redeeming God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth it conveys. Truth that's meant to lead us to Jesus. Words that are meant to point us to Your Son. Words that are meant to encourage, comfort, and strengthen us. I pray Your people would feel Your presence this week as they go about their days. For those who are suffering, I pray for massive amounts of comfort. And for those who are in a season of pre-suffering or post-suffering, I pray that they would also sense your nearness in this season. We love you we thank you. Spirit of God, I pray, move upon your people this week. In Jesus' name, amen.